This is an ABC podcast. Okay, deep listening quiz. I can look like I'm listening even if I'm solving their issues in my mind. The scale is never, rarely, occasionally, sometimes, often, regularly and always. I can look like I'm listening even if I'm solving their issues in my mind. Rarely. I do not have a poker face. I finish people's sentences when they pause and I know what they're going to say. Hmm. It's between often and always, so regularly. I interrupt the speaker before they finish. Hmm. Sometimes. More often if they're my husband or my business partner. But generally, it's sometimes. than half of our day is spent listening, yet very few of us have been trained in how to listen. And spoiler alert, it's not just sitting there waiting for your turn to talk. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, we're revisiting one of our favourite conversations of 2020 with executive coach, speaker and author of Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, Oscar Trimboli. So Oscar, why is now the time? that we really need to deeply listen. December 30, 2019, Dr. Lai was working in a Wuhan hospital and he explained to six other doctors on his WeChat app that he discovered a virus that was showing variations on the SARS virus and, and he was really concerned about his patients, but he was saying to their doctors to practice safe, healthy medical practices. Well, the Chinese authorities found out about this, came over and basically asked him to recount that. What he said was not factual. And as a result, we lost three weeks in fighting the coronavirus. And the same is true for the global financial crisis three years before Dr. Rajan had explained to a group of central bankers exactly how the global financial crisis would happen. And a group of engineers have shown why the Deepwater Horizons oil rig that killed 11 people and cost BP $50 billion in damages. All these things are examples why the cost of listening or the cost of not listening to someone or ignoring them is huge. So my question to everyone is, who are the voices you're not listening to because you've got a professional dogma that you're following or you've got an organisational culture or quite possibly a cult that goes in a particular direction? We need to listen with a full 360-degree perspective. And why it matters now more than ever is we're more connected now more than ever. So listening matters so much more now. Tell me about your work with an organisation of engineers. Three years ago, I was brought in to work with about 80 leaders inside the organisation. I was asked to give a talk on deep listening. And I stepped into the room and by the 20-minute mark, you could feel the tension. It was literally dripping from the air conditioning ducts. You could feel it like a fog moving across the room. And it didn't matter what we were trying to do in terms of helping the group, there was a tension. And at the 20-minute mark, I I trusted my instinct, I listened to my gut, I turned to the CEO of this big manufacturing organisation. They employed about 500 people on this particular site. And I said, look, with your permission, I'm going to try something different. And with contempt dripping from every syllable, he said, well, (laughs) if you must. And I went, I'd prefer to do it with your consent. He says, 
go ahead. So I turned to the room and I said simply, guys, what movie's going on right now at this manufacturing facility? And the room exploded. It was like popcorn popping in a, in a stove. And everybody was laughing and the tension was released in the room. But the CEO walked up to me on this small little stage, switched my lapel mic off and said, what the hell are you doing? This wasn't in brief. I said, can't you feel what's going on here? He says, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you got 20 minutes sorted out. And he sat back down and I turned to the room and I said, okay, so what movies is everybody talking about? First movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Next movie, Towering Inferno. Next movie, Titanic. Every plane crash movie and disaster movie you could think of was being said. Out of the corner of my eye and my peripheral vision, I could see the CEO stepping up onto stage. And all I could think is, well, I guess I'm not getting paid for this one. And uh, he gestured <laughs> for me to sit down in the chair and he did something that completely changed my perspective. He took my mic off me. He turned to the room. It was a semi-bow, as in he was bowing forward when he said it. He said, I'm really sorry. He said, I'm sorry you feel working for me is a disaster. Oscar's heard something I haven't heard on this issue. I think we all need to spend a bit more time listening to him. And with that, he handed the mic back to me and gave me as much time as I wanted. And I simply said to the room, who aren't we listening to on this issue? Now, Lisa, I had no idea what this issue was. What it was to learn later was there was a quality issue with something in the production line that was holding up stock, nearly $10 million worth of stock. And the people they weren't listening to were production line workers, frontline workers. And in fact, this was a room full of fancy pants engineers with PhDs and masters. (laughs) They couldn't figure out this problem. But a 35-year-old frontline worker had told them about the problem three months ago, but he was ignored. And that's why listening matters in the workplace. In a lot of workplaces, we don't listen in a one-on-one setting, nor do we listen in team settings, nor do we listen in production, customer care, and the cost of that is huge. And there were some really interesting points you hit on there. And one of them was this sense of feeling. So you felt this fog. So what is it about listening that focuses on the unsaid? If you understand the neuroscience of listening, you'll understand why listening for what's not said is so important. I speak at 125 words a minute. Most people speak at 150 and a cattle auctioneer or a real estate auctioneer will speak at about 200 words per minute, but you'll still have comprehension. (laughs) Now, we think on average at 900 words per minute. So the likelihood the first thing that we say is what we actually mean. There's an 11% chance that what we say is what we mean. So what we're saying is in business, if you just listen to the first thing somebody says, there's a 90% chance you're not listening to what they actually mean. And whether it's a project Mm. meeting that runs over schedule, whether it's a customer brief you didn't take correctly, whether it's an employee who decides to leave and join another organisation because you didn't listen to what they really wanted to say. That's why listening to what's unsaid is so critical. And the 125-900 rule helps leaders to unlock why just to double your listening productivity, you just need to ask three simple questions. They are, tell me more, what else? And this phrase, this is the most critical phrase of all, and it's the least used. So lean in and listen to this one. That's it. It's silence. 
and Lisa in the East, <laughs> in Aboriginal cultures, in the Inuit of North America, in tribal communities, silence is a sign of respect, it's a sign of authority, and it's a sign of wisdom. But in the West, we think the minute somebody mm. draws a breath, that's our commercial break to jump in and tell them exactly what we think. And is this why you call it deep listening as opposed to something like active listening, which was pretty popular in the 90s? Yeah, active listening is still popular now and it's a great foundation. Active listening helps you understand the first three levels of listening. There's five levels of listening. But listening to what's unsaid is what deep listening is about. Listening beyond the words and listening in colour rather than listening in black and white. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing bad or wrong about the active listening movement, except paraphrasing. You know, you're taught in active listening to paraphrase and typically you paraphrase in your own perspective. So what happens is for a lot of us, our listening barriers are ourselves. The biggest thing that gets in the way of our listening isn't what the person's saying, it's us turning up to the conversation with a whole bunch of assumptions that we're not even conscious of. When we come to the unsaid as well, Lisa, team meetings is where the unsaid shows up a lot as well. I was working with a client in Melbourne and it was one of those really tight rooms. There was 12 people in it and at uh, five minutes to 12, the CEO was tapping on the table and pointing to his watch as if to say, you know, lunch is coming, can we get on with it? And we'd done this very simple exercise with this company to go, what sort of animal is this organisation? And everybody said, an eagle, an osprey, some swooping, beautiful bird of prey that was elegant and fast. And there was one lady who hadn't spoke, a card-carrying member of the introvert community. So mm. we, had, we had 11 people and she was the 12th and she hadn't spoken. So I didn't verbally gesture to her. I just reached out my arms and put my palms open to her to gesture your choice to speak now. And she said, oh, I thought it was obvious. I thought we were a snake. And the room tension came in. So she said, we've forgotten to shed our skin every season. We have all these bad processes that we had in the past that aren't useful for us. Now we don't shed our skin for our clients. And like a snake, a snake senses ahead of where you're going by using all kinds of feeling mechanisms and we're not listening to our customers. Well, the tension in the room changed. By now we're <laughs> at quarter past 12. My CEO isn't tapping on the table. And that conversation went to 12.36. And the conversation that happened from there opened up a whole different way of thinking because people started listening to the people they wouldn't normally listen to. So as leaders, one of the things you want to explore is in a team meeting, are you always listening for the same two loud voices or the same two people passionate on the topic? Or are you deliberate in listening to a range of opinions, not just during the meeting, but before the meeting and after the meeting as well? And that's where listening to the unsaid in teams, Lisa, makes a world of difference. I'm Lisa Leong and with me is Oscar Tromboli. You're listening to This Working Life well, I hope you're listening. Put away your social media, grab a glass of water. Let's get deeper into listening. Oscar, can you tell me about the five levels of listening? Five little levels of listening, starting with listening to yourself, listening to the content, 
then we listen for the context, then we listen for the unsaid, and then finally we listen for meaning. In our research database, Lisa, of 1,410 listeners, we know 86% of people are stuck at level one listening to yourself. We have a radio station playing in our head that distracts us from the conversation. So we have internal distractions that get in our way at level one, and we have external distractions that get in our way as well. The, the easy ones to fix are the external distractions. Switch your mobile phone into flight mode, switch it off. That would be awesome if you're going to have a conversation with somebody. Laptops, iPads, all those kinds of things and their notifications, that triples most people in our databases, the listening productivity. But by far the biggest distraction is the story you tell yourself before you get to the conversation. You might be distracted by the last meeting. You might be distracted by the fact that the last time I had a meeting with this person, it was really slow. They were really in the detail and I'm a big picture person and I think really differently. So a lot of us just need to be present in the moment. Our job as a listener is twofold. Listening is the willingness to have your mind changed. And the second thing is that active listeners help make sense of what the speaker's saying, whereas deep listeners help the speaker make sense of what they're saying. And it's a very different orientation. It's much deeper, but for the listener, it's very light. If you wanted three practical tips to help you be available for the conversation at level one. So tip number one, lose the devices or switch yep. them in a fly mode. Tip number two, drink a glass of water. A hydrated brain. A glass of water. Yeah, a hydrated brain is a listening brain. So a glass of water every half an hour. And then the, the third tip is in 1993 in Ottawa, Canada, there was a, a research study done with 414 students who were paired off and they were connected to a device that measures their heart rate and their oxygen levels. And the people who had the highest O2 count were rated by their speaker as the best listeners. So the deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen. Are there times when we should actually interrupt Oscar? Absolutely. There is a time to stop listening, Lisa. And when people get on repetitive cycles, they're saying the same theme over and over again, and it's not really making progress. There is a time to listen like a book editor would. A book editor always helps an author to make sure that the thoughts they're doing are the crisp, most succinct thoughts that they could publish. So for a lot of us, we have friends who love telling that story. Now, you can say it once and maybe twice, but at the second point, you can see there's a pattern here. And the one thing you want to mm. ask that person to help edit and interrupt is simply ask them, hey, compared to what we wanted to achieve in this discussion, how are we going? And that, that will create a circuit breaker for them to go, oh, yeah, I better stop this broken record and get on with it. Too many of us have this problem where we listen too long and it's unproductive as well because we think listening is a passive activity, whereas a great listener helps the speaker find meaning in their own thoughts. Hey, does listening have to be just in a conversation or could perhaps social media be part of that listening or even, you know, the intra-company uh, Slack feed or um, Teams in Microsoft? Is that listening? 
inside an organization, I think they call them enterprise social networks because they don't want to think of it as social media. One of the things I work in my consulting work is say to leaders, a question rather than a statement on your enterprise social network will get you between eight to 150 times more engagement than a simple statement on there. So some of the best mm. listening happens with merely posing questions. And questions should be really 80% how and what questions rather than why questions. We have a lot to thank Simon Sinek for as it relates to why when it comes to strategy, but why is the wrong yep. place to start a question because it's loaded with judgment when you're asking an individual. <laughs> so listening isn't just a conversation, Lisa. There's customer satisfaction surveys, there's employee engagement surveys. All of these ways of hearing are great, but the biggest frustration for most employees inside organisations when they fill in their surveys, managers who don't act on what they say. So hearing is one thing, taking action is showing that you're listening and too many leaders send out employee engagement surveys that never get read, never get actioned. And they have to buy balloons and cakes to bribe people into filling in surveys that they don't believe are true. So what is your one key message to leaders at all levels of an organisation right now? This new way of working means we have to communicate more than ever. That means your frequency needs to increase. The modalities with which you communicate need to be reflective of everybody inside your organisation. It's not enough to send an email. You need to do video. You need to do audio. You need to host frequent meetings one-on-one -on -one and then frequent meetings in group settings as well. You want to set up peer-to-peer -peer listening networks as well. Where leaders are failing right now are leaders who have a very hierarchical communication structure where they say terms like, well, if you've got any questions, just ask me or your manager. Well, right now, if your manager or the CEO gets sick, you can't say that. So one of the things I'd encourage everybody to do is set up triads, peer-to-peer -peer networks inside organisations and ask them to see if they can solve their problems first by listening to each other. And then if they can't solve that, work with their managers and leaders to listen a little bit more differently. And leaders are tribal leaders and they need to curate not just what they say, they also have to role model to the room what great listening looks like as well. I always go back to 2012 where Peter was a visiting vice president from Microsoft. He flew 24 hours to Sydney. I was hosting a meeting with 20 CEOs and he started the meeting off. And just as he was about to speak, he stood up and went to his bag and I thought, oh, what's going on here? He put his cell phone in the bag, sat down at the table and said to the room something I'll never forget. He said, the most important thing I can give you right now is my complete and undivided attention. And in that moment, Lisa, 17 of the 20 CEOs in that room all switched off their cell phones. So as leaders, it's not only important to be present, but to role model great listening as well. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Oscar Tromboli, executive coach, speaker and author of Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words. And to find out how good a listener you are, there's a link to Oscar's listening quiz on our program page along with a link to his podcast called Deep Listening. Yes, time for some tips on how to stay happy and productive when working from home. Joining us on This Working Life, is Amantha Imba, organisational psychologist and founder of Inventium. Hello, Amantha. 
Hi, how are you going, Lisa? Good. Samantha, the danger of working from home, I think, is rolling out of bed straight into work mode and then only switching off when you roll back into bed at night. So how might we mindfully manage our time when working alone? Well, I think it's really important that we develop rituals. So rituals for the beginning of the day so that we're not just, you know, (laughs) falling out of bed and going straight to our laptop, which is not particularly healthy, but also for shutting down our day as well so that we are maintaining some some boundaries between work and trying to have a non-work life as well. Can you give me some example of a ritual for, say, the morning? So there is a lot been written about morning rituals. And I think some of the fundamental things you want to be thinking about is firstly, something to do with physical movement and something to do with your mind. So for example, a lot of people have great morning rituals that involve exercise, such as myself. I normally like to spend between sort of 6 to 6.45 or 7 a.m. exercising in some way, which is obviously changed for many people now that gyms are closed but you know it's easy to just create a home exercise routine many apps for that and look I know a lot of people swear by some sort of mindfulness just to kind of reset their brain before they get into a work day where I think people get it wrong with how they approach the mornings is when the very first thing that they do is check their phone and or check the news because you're basically setting your day up to be reactive by making one of those choices. And you're also kind of playing Russian roulette with how your day will start. The reality is most days now, the news is not looking very good. You're automatically starting your day on the wrong foot. And likewise with email, you know, it's kind of potluck whether there's good news or bad news emails in your inbox. So wherever possible, try to control your environment for those first couple of hours of the day and that will help you control your mood. Okay, I'd love to hear about the evening rituals and routines because I'm not so bad uh, at the morning routine but um, I still take work home uh, or in bed with me, unfortunately, so I don't have an evening routine. So what are your suggestions there? I've heard Cal Newport, who is a computer science professor at Georgetown, wrote the bestsellers Deep Work and Digital Minimalism, amongst others. And in Deep Work, he talks about how his shutdown ritual is he will actually close down his computer and he will say out loud something like, I'm shutting down my day now. So it kind of makes this this conscious shutdown. But I think it's also good to reflect on your day as well. So there are a couple of useful questions that you can ask yourself. So firstly, ask yourself, what did I make progress on today? So we know from research from Professor Teresa Amabile from Harvard that feeling that sense of progress on projects that matter is pretty much the number one thing that we can do to increase our engagement at work. And what will also start to happen if you make a habit out of that is that during the day you'll be thinking oh how am I going to answer that question so you'll kind of feel obliged to make some decent progress on something hopefully I'd love to know what does science reveal about what is actually an effective break Amantha oh there's so much cool stuff around effective breaks look one of my favorite pieces of research in this area comes from the University of Colorado where they were looking at is there an optimal time length for a break so The researchers in this study looked at a group of people who were taking one 30-minute break and then they looked at another group of people that were taking hourly five-minute walking breaks. Um, So that equated to about six five-minute breaks during the day. So same amount of time that we're talking, 30 minutes worth of breaks. What they found is that 
In contrast to the one 30-minute break, people that took hourly five-minute walking breaks had significantly higher energy, better focus, better mood, and less feelings of fatigue in the afternoon. So certainly now that most of us are working from home, it could just be so easy just to be stuck behind the table all day. So you might want to even think about setting your alarm for you know, every hour or so and just reminding yourself just to go for like a, a quick five-minute walk. A, a, another research study that I love, this um, this is published in the Journal of Environmental Psychology. And something else that you can do other than walk is uh, they found that taking a what they call a green micro break is something that will actually boost your concentration level. So in this particular study, they asked people to look at some greenery just for 40 seconds. And they found just looking at some greenery for 40 seconds, as opposed to looking at like a concrete roof or something like that. I think that was the, the other group in this experiment. Increased concentration levels by 8%. Thank you. You're welcome. Organisational psychologist, Amantha Imba. And for more tips and hacks on performing your best at work, check out our productivity series from July this year. You'll hear why deliberate rest is so important, how to feed your brain, and Near Isle tells us how to kill off procrastination. We've also made our debut on YouTube. Check out our Routines to Help You Nail the Workday three-part series on ABC Australia's YouTube channel. You get to see me wearing my orange blue blocker glasses and my tracky dacks. This Working Life is produced by Maria Machine Tickle, who wouldn't be seen dead watching cat videos at work. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.